have been in a series all this year on feeling the passion and passion being the vital key that literally unlocks your future no matter what your future may lead you into, whether it's ministry, it's a business, a career, education, your marriage, your family. Passion is what makes the vital difference and makes people succeed and makes others fail because they do not have it. And when we talk about passion, boy, what a day to remember passion as we celebrate our independence. Does anybody remember these words? Give me liberty or give me death. They said when Patrick Henry spoke those words in that little church, they said it grew so quiet you could almost hear the sound of manacles fall from people's hands. He stated his case so eloquently and with such passion. Patrick Henry was a minister, minister of the gospel. And if anybody ought to be passionate about freedom and understand the value of freedom, it ought to be the people of God. Amen. We whom the Son have set free are free indeed. Amen. And so we're talking about passion being the key to your breakthrough. And whether uh, that's in healing, I'm serious. A woman with the issue of blood got healed because she had enough passion to break through. She touched God. And in this series this year, what I've been teaching us is that we're not ordinary. We aren't. Have you noticed that all along in America's history, there are times whenever comic book heroes with superpowers endowed with extraordinary abilities seem to capture the imagination of the nation? When I was a kid, of course, World War II had ended and the Korean War and all of that. All the big guys were Superman. You remember those days? Anybody here? Amen. Old enough. <laughs> These days, it's the fabulous. What is it, fabulous for? Okay. Batman. Spider-Man. Captain America. Got your attention yet? Transformers. Same thing, just recycled. That's all it is. Somebody with superpowers. You know what this reflects? It reflects the despair of a nation. And every time when a nation, this nation particularly, has come to a place of despair, comic, folklore, superhero kind of characters have captured the imagination of America. Now, I've got to where I won't even hardly watch movies on the plane. They don't have, I mean, everything's Captain America, the Avengers, and all Transformers, and you know, so that's, that's all that's out there these days. They're taking Marvel comic book characters and making movies out of them like, you know, they've run out of other good stuff to talk about. That speaks to me because what it tells me is there is a hunger in the heart of people to be able to tap into a dimension, a reservoir of ability and resources and powers greater than what the average person possessed. There is a cry for more. We need some help. We need somebody with some superpower to come along. You don't even know it, but that somebody with superpowers is you. That's right. When you got saved, 
Listen, you were filled with the power of the mighty God of this universe. The God who spoke the world into existence came to live inside of you. And our text is seize life. Seize it. And then we've been talking from Hebrews about how to tap into that reservoir of power because the average person today in churches believes that churches are, well, you you become a church member, not that it's going to radically change your life, but you become a church member because you may need somebody to marry you, bury you, pray for you when you get sick, dedicate your kids. Seriously speaking, that's what church attendance and membership is about to many people in America today. Oh, and when you really need it is just before you kick out of here, you know. Get your ticket punched so you're safe when you go on the other side. But in terms of any practical benefit, nah, not so much. That is a delusion and it is a deception that has been perpetrated by the enemy, even not only upon unbelievers, but by upon people within the kingdom of God. We don't even know who, know who we really are supposed to be. But when we receive Christ into our hearts, look, the scripture says that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, and we should hold that fast, that profession. We should hold on to it. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin, and we should therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does that mean? That means that before we got saved, we were ordinary. But now we have a high priest that we can touch. And we can tap into the supernatural dimension of resources and a God who loves us, who wants to help us, who is not limited by what limits us. And you can either live your life on the human plane of average existence, mediocre, or you can decide to live your life at that level where you move God. Then the question becomes, what moves God? People who have passion. And I've been in this series talking to you about things that moved God. People had passion for prayer, like Hannah, moved God. People who interceded like Rizpah, Move the king. Paul and Silas move God because they worshiped passionately. A whole number of things. We're now talking about Nehemiah. And so, Father, today I ask you to speak to us now a word that will radically impact us, change the way we think, because we, whether we believe it and understand it or not, are influenced by the thinking of the society of which we are a part. And even we don't realize how powerful the church actually is. And I'm asking you to, as it were, pull back the cover of blindness and let us see what this life is supposed to be like in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Sunday, a couple of weeks ago when I last spoke to you, I talked about Nehemiah moved God because of extraordinary leadership. 
In Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, it reads, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, we explained who he was, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. I'll explain that in a moment. And said to the king, May the king live forever. Why shouldn't my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste? Speaking of Jerusalem. And its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, If it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen, see the parentheses, the queen sitting beside him, that was Esther. How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. This is one of the most extraordinary books in the Bible, the book of Nehemiah. And it speaks to us about how Nehemiah moved God by providing extraordinary leadership to Israel in a time of great need. Comic book heroes. Superpowers. Transformers. That sound anything like conversion to you? Old things pass away, all things become new. People have danced all around what the gospel message really is supposed to present to us while at the same time convincing us that Christianity is, is as I defined it a while ago, just a place to get your kids dedicated, somebody to bury you when you die or marry you when you need to get married. And it's so much more than that. According to the Word of God, Nehemiah was a part of a group of people that had been carried away captive into Babylon. Now to set the context for you, I remind you that Babylon had been completely destroyed, wiped out. It had been besieged by Nebuchadnezzar's army surrounded. It cut off the supply routes. Famine ensued in the city, and finally the city itself failed. They overran the city. And in those days, there were basically two categories of people, classes of people, there were the ordinary common folk, the peasant people, the uneducated, the farmers, the, you know, just the people that did the everyday jobs, and then there were the noblemen. Now, ordinarily, the peasant people, the farmers, would not have been educated. You know what the Babylonians did? They went in and they killed everybody that was of the nobleman's class, anyone with any education. And the reason for this was they didn't want anybody in the future that had the ability to think and and strategize. They didn't want anybody to rise up in an insurrection against the Babylonian Empire. So they wiped out all of them right away, kind of like the Khmerudes did in Cambodia. Just killed everybody that had any kind of an education. Now, the children of these, many of them they allowed to live. They carried them away to Babylon where they educated them in their schools. And you read a little bit about that in the book of Daniel because as I shared with you, here a couple of weeks ago, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, all of those were contemporaries, lived at the same time, experienced this captivity. 
Daniel was one of those carried away. His parents were killed. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were carried away. So was Nehemiah. All of their parents were massacred, executed. And they were put in schools. And this was whenever Daniel and the three Hebrew children refused to eat the king's meat that had been offered to idols. And the king's servant who had been put in charge of them, their education, said, look, guys, you better eat. My life is on the line. And they said, we can't eat what is dedicated to idols. And so they devised a test, and they said, just give us a chance. He said, but look, guys, you don't eat this, I get killed. This is not a game with me. This is my life. You guys have to be educated because there's a leadership vacuum. The Babylonian empire is growing so fast that we need leaders. And so we want people that are indoctrinated in your culture. So that's why the king brought you here. But we're going to educate you into our system. And that way you can help us once you have the mind. You've got the mind already. I mean, you know what Israel and the culture is like. But once you get our heart, then you can serve in administrative capacities within the Babylonian empire and help fuel the growth of this great kingdom. But what you need to understand is, is if you guys don't do real well on your scoring, I get killed for that. And so Daniel and the three Hebrew children said, look, just give us a chance. We'll take the test, but let us eat just the ordinary food, beans, et cetera, rice, whatever, what's common back home, kosher. And then you test us. And when they were evaluated, they were brighter and smarter than all of the rest of those that had been eating the meat dedicated to idols in the empire of Babylon. Well, this is the story now. Nehemiah was one of those Hebrew children that was in that group that was tested. They've all grown up now. Nehemiah has become the king's cupbearer. Now you see what's happening. And back home... Those poor people I was telling you about, many of them were killed too, but their kids were left there. They weren't carried away to be educated. They were left there. And what the king of Babylon did would take people from other parts of his empire that he had conquered some far country far away, import them back to another place that he had just conquered and cause the people to intermarry. They would grow up together, intermarry, and that way the culture would be diluted. And uh, it's kind of like... Uh, no offense, Matt, by pointing this out, but you're reading a lot in the newspapers right now about what's going on in Europe and the uh, fact that Europe is becoming more and more Muslim. France has already gone over the tipping point. Over one-third of the population of France is Muslim because for years they allowed people to just immigrate, immigrate, and the difference in the culture is this. The, the Muslims have many, many kids, and in Europe they've been embracing a policy only one child, and many of them don't have any. So now they claim that even if they tried, they cannot stop France from becoming a Muslim country. It's already reached, going over the tipping point. So they're all upset now about trying to implement immigration policies and curbs and reforms, but it's too late, they say, to even save France. And on the other hand, the Muslims are laughing and say, we're going to take over one way or, no or another. That's literally what they're saying. Well, this was the policy that the king of Babylon was embracing. So it's not new now. What you see happening today in France isn't new. This was a policy purposefully employed by the king of Babylon hundreds of years before Christ was ever born. And so if you want to read about who some of these people were, as their cultures intermingled, they would carry with them, remember, their gods from other countries. And so they worshiped kind of a strange 
mixture of Jehovah God and other gods. And if you've ever read in the Bible about the Samaritans in the Middle East, the Palestine, Israel, the Samaritans, that's who these people were. They were the children of this intermarriage of these different cultures. So what's happening back home in Jerusalem is, and Israel is, Jerusalem's been burned with fire, devastated, destroyed. Temple has been torn down. The kids that were carried away are now growing up, taking their places in the leadership post like it was designed for them to, to experience. And on the other hand, those who stayed behind had grown up intermarried, and now there was a watering down of the message of Jehovah God. And, Dan, and, and Daniel and all of these other people are there in Babylon, and Daniel's fighting to preserve his culture, so is Nehemiah. And somebody tells Nehemiah that has just come from Jerusalem how bad the city is, and Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer. Now, don't think that that means he's a Somalia. Somalia. And he doesn't taste the wine and say, he's got a nice head, a little fruity, undertones of oak. and Uh-uh, he didn't do that. By being the, cups, the king's cupbearer, it meant he tasted the wine first in case there was poison in it. He was the human guinea pig that sipped from the cup. And if he f fell over dead, king said, I'm not drinking that wine, you know. That was his purpose, amen. But he was before the king every day. And one day he was very sad because he had brought him this news. You were not allowed to carry human emotion into the court of the king of Babylon. Because he was preoccupied with monumental decisions that had to be made that affected the entire empire and hundreds of thousands of people. But on this occasion, in spite of himself, Nehemiah was sad and the king noticed it and said, you're sad. This is not a physical sickness. You're sad. And Nehemiah was terrified and thought he was getting ready to be killed. And at that moment, the king said, what's the problem? And Nehemiah squared his shoulders back and stuck his chest out and he said, it's because the city of my fathers has been destroyed. Temple has been decimated. Tombs of my fathers desecrated. And the king asking, what are you making requests for? Queen Esther was sitting beside him. What is inferred in this is that Esther, because of her connection with the king and their marriage and his love for her, had softened the king's heart toward the, the Jewish people now. And this is what developed. Nehemiah. When he made known the story of what had happened in Jerusalem and what was taking place, the king said, what do you want to do? And he said, I need to go and fix this. Nehemiah provided extraordinary leadership. There are a few principles here that I want to talk to you about because God knows if there ever was a time that we need leadership, we need it right now. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? Amen. And one reason that people don't want to be leaders is because to be a leader as I started out by saying, it costs you something. And in today's world, people are more interested in getting than they are giving. Come on, help me out here. We're looking for fast solutions to our problems. How many of you would love to develop a Krispy Kreme diet? <laughs> or you turn on the TV. I saw one the other day. Rock hard abs in three minutes. Don't kid yourself. You may have abs, but they'll be buried that deep underneath a layer of fat, and you'll never know they're there. It's going to take more than three minutes to get rock-hard abs. 
Come on, help me out here. Or how about this one? Amen. One lady was telling her friend, she said, actually, I found a lipstick that helps you lose weight. Lipstick. Her friend said, oh, that's exciting. Really? Really? What's the name of it? And her friend said, super glue. That will work. Amen? The problems that exist today are not problems in just one arena alone. They exist in every aspect of life. I'm talking, and I'm not being political here today. Every area of society, from City Hall to the State Capitol to Congress to the Oval Office and from Fortune 500 companies on Wall Street to the Federal Reserve, we have a leadership vacuum. And that's sadly true from business to banking and from education to unions and even, sadly, from the church leadership to ministry itself, as has been proven by this debacle of a reality show called The Preachers of L.A. People are in it for themselves and forgetting what the main thing is all about. That's right. Nehemiah leaps to us from the pages of God's word because he is the exact opposite of that. Here is a man who, when faced with the possibility of execution, decides that the cause is greater than I am. And so there are a few leadership principles that leap out that I want to help us capture today. I'll spend the next couple of weeks on this, but I want you to know that Nehemiah made his life count. And in today's world, if there's one thing that seems to be lacking that people cry and yearn for the most, it's how do I make my life have meaning? This is what Nehemiah did. He moved God by having, by, by committed himself rather to providing extraordinary leadership in an hour when Israel needed help. Number one, Nehemiah made himself available. That's the first thing you do, make yourself available. In today's world where so many people are uninvolved, unattached, don't want to be committed or connected, don't want to pay a price, and that's in just about every area of life. As I said, people are looking for instant gratification rather than a way to sacrifice. Fewer and fewer people make themselves available, but in making himself available, Nehemiah not only got the king's attention, he got God's attention as well. And his name is remembered down through the pages of history as one of the greatest leaders of all time because he made himself available. I want to tell you that if you want to make your life count, it doesn't begin with great talent, doesn't begin with great ability, doesn't begin by having a great name or getting recognition or get, being given a title. It begins by just making yourself available. Can somebody in the building say amen? I can apply this to my own life because this has been an amazing journey for me. I look back over the years that I have lived and been involved in ministry and, and people, I don't deserve it, but people give me honor these days. I have not done anything so worthy of note that I should be given honor, but people seem to have regard for what I've done in the course of the years that I've served God. I want to tell you, I wasn't always the pastor of Christian Tabernacle. 
And for those of you that are here now, CT wasn't always a, a church that had multiple services on weekends. We were small. We had about 75 people the first Sunday I became pastor here. I want you to realize that we were not always a church that had 19 daughter churches we had launched in the greater Houston area with several thousand that come to worship here on Sunday. We were not always a church that had Bible colleges in Africa. Let me tell you where I was last Sunday. I was doing a graduation in Tanzania at our Bible college. We have now run 2,700 students through that Bible college in Tanzania. Amen. And they are starting churches everywhere. I didn't even realize how much so until just in this last graduation. Some of them that were students that we have taught that you have given money to help pay their education and tuition in a Bible college are now bishops of large influential churches. They are what they say in Africa, they're big people. Amen. And I remember when they were just little bitty nobodies. But because of your sacrifice and your commitment, we're shaking up a whole nation for God. Amen. I'm serious. And they're launching churches in Rwanda, not only Tanzania, but Rwanda, Uganda, and Kenya, and Mozambique. They have launched churches everywhere. Some of our churches have now had as many as seven daughter churches themselves. That's what you're doing for the kingdom of God. And people look at me and want to give me a little credit for that. And I don't deserve that, but I, you know why I don't deserve it? I know where I came from. The little church I was raised in that ran 2730 in Sunday school, I was probably the least likely candidate to ever be someone you would think would make their life count for anything. I'm serious. Given away by my mother when I was four, raised by my grandparents, messed up, screwed up emotionally and mentally, the rejection I had suffered, everything that I had experienced in the, the course of my life, I took it personal. I took it and turned it inward. Thought if your mama don't want you, you don't have much value, do you? And do you know that when I, that messed me up so bad that even raised by a praying grandmother, you know, I, I was looking for some kind of way to get recognition and I found it in music. I had a certain skill in music that I, I've seen to pick up guitar real well and started playing music at an early age and came from a musical family and everybody played instruments of some kind and, and by the time I was 15, I was in bars playing music. I was on drugs. I got so messed up, I hardly knew which end was up. I was trying to, to mood alter pain that I had lived with ever since I had been born. You wouldn't have thought I'd ever be a preacher of a church like this. Folk look at me, I get, I get uh, you know, letters in the mail, and no disrespect to anybody that ever sent me a letter, but applications, can I apply to be a member of, uh, of the staff at CT? Can you need an assistant pastor, and this is what my salary needs to be, and, and do you have insurance, health insurance, and I need a car allowance, and, and I read those, and you know what I'd do? I'd just put them in the round file underneath my desk. You know why? I'm not being disrespectful. Honey, when I got started, I sold Coke bottles from one city to the next. 
to buy gasoline to get from one city to the next. I stopped on the side of the road and picked up Coke bottles. You wonder how I came to be pastor here and how this church has grown? I look back in amazement. I know that this has been the work of God. I know where God brought me from. I couldn't even make it as a sinner. I'm serious. And nightclubs, I've had people walk up to me and tell me, you don't belong in this place. There's something different about you. And do you know, it's pretty bad when you can't even make it as a sinner. I didn't fit in. I knew there was something different about me. I knew that I had value in life that was more than just my being in a nightclub, playing music to entertain somebody. Amen. I never dreamed that when I got saved, I would end up in ministry. You say, you had connections, you had this. No, I didn't have anything. You know how I got in ministry? I'm going to tell you how. I did what Nehemiah did. I made myself available. And when you make yourself available, you don't know where God's going to take you. And can I be real with you? The glass ceilings over your life are only there as long as you allow them to be there. Nobody can hold you back. If you make up your mind, God will use you and you won't be able to be stopped. Lack of education, all of those things that affected me when I was younger. Oh, I went back to school. I spent a lifetime in school. But in those days, no, uh-uh. I hurt too bad. I couldn't focus. I, I, I was messed up. I was, I, my mind was screwed up. My emotions were out of shape. I suffered depression and rejection. And, and I, then God saved me. And, and you know what? Nobody offered me a church. Nobody offered me a pulpit. I didn't send in any resume and, and request a car allowance. And no, I, I, You know how I got to where I am? That lady right over there is named Marcella Wilhoyt. She and her husband, Ron, came to be pastors on our staff years ago. Ron's been going to be with the Lord for some years, and she knows the story I'm telling you. Let me tell you how I came to be in ministry. Never had a vision. No, no skies rolled back, clouds, thunder. God didn't say, Richard, I am calling you. No angels, no flaming letters of fire in the midnight sky. You know what happened? Marcella and Ron Wilhart developed a Bible study chart. And that Bible study chart was so you could go into people's homes and teach a Bible study one day a week, an hour at a time. It cost $25 and I bought one. And you'd go into their homes. You'd put adverts in the newspaper and say, free home Bible study. You want to learn the Bible? Call this number. One hour a week, no charge, no commitment. And I would teach Bible studies. And I started winning so many people to God that other churches and pastors started calling me to come tell their people how to do what I was doing. And one day, you know what happened? I had more bookings than I could afford to go to while I was still holding my job. And what happened was I had to choose. 
Do I do this or do I stay where I'm employed? Oh, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy at all. Uh-uh, and I made a decision back then. You want to know why money doesn't mean anything to me right now? Because back then I made a decision that I wanted God more than I wanted comfortable things in life. I'm serious. And I've preached that little country circuit, as I said, stopping to pick up Coke bottles on the side of the road to have enough gas to get me to the next revival. I've preached for $50 a week and all the potatoes you can eat. You know where I'm, I'm coming from? I've been out there. I've done that. I've lived it, baby. I've watched it happen. Amen. And you wonder, how did you get to where you are? And people give me honorifics and titles and, and doctor and, and bishop and, and all of this. And, and every time they show me honor, I thank God because I know where he found me. I remember when I walked into my supervisor's office at Canal Co. in Lake Charles, Louisiana and laid my resignation on his desk and said, I'm leaving. And he said, why? I said, I'm going into ministry. He said, son, you'll starve to death. And he was a prophet, amen. <laughs> he was a prophet, yeah. There wasn't a lot of money in it. I'm, I'm not no preacher from L.A., I can tell you that. But I, I want you to know I've lived the life that I've wanted to live and I've had the time of my life and I've loved what I have been called of God to do. I wouldn't trade places with anybody in the world. Do you hear me? And now with over 6,000 churches that call me Papa, people look at me and say, how'd you get there? And all I can tell you is it started with a Bible study chart tucked under my arm. I made myself available. You don't know where God will take you if you just make yourself available unto him. Can somebody in the building say yes? You don't know where God will lead you. Moses, what is that in your hand? It's nothing but just a little simple staff Walking stick, stretch it out, Moses, because I can make little things become great. I can part red seas with stuff other people see no significance in. You make yourself available right where you are. And the problem is, is that so many people today don't want to pay the price to do that. Don't want to start at the bottom and work their way up. There are no shortcuts. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But one of the great leadership principles of Nehemiah is if you're willing to pay your price, to pay the price, you will leave a mark on somebody and history will remember your name. Yes, it will. You can make your life count. Amen. Is that Tammy that I saw stand up? Amen. Do you know, stand up, Tammy. I, I just got to tell folk, they told me, stand up if you don't mind. Amen. Do you know? I don't even know the title of it, but she was like number one gym instructor in the whole United States of America. That's right. You've seen her on all these TV shows. She didn't get there because it was easy, did you, Tammy? It was hard. That's passion, baby. Amen. That's passion. That's passion. Look at Jade Simmons, one of the greatest pianists in America, member of our congregation, concert pianist. She didn't get there just by playing and tinkering on the piano and playing chopsticks every now and then. Ding, 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 ding. 
uh, uh, you don't get there. It's passion. You got to start somewhere. You got to be willing to pay the price to go through the process. But you have to make yourself available. Oh, listen to me. Through the years, when I look back over my own life, I realized the Nehemiah principle was at work, and I didn't even know it. Didn't even realize it. One day I was reading in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 34 through 38. I'm not going to put that up on the screen. Take too long to read it, but the story synopsis is this. Jesus fed 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fishes. Yet in Matthew 14, 13 through 21, Jesus fed 5,000. Got that? 4,000 with seven loaves. 5,000 with five loaves. Wait a minute. The math is not right. He started with more and fed less. And on another occasion, he started with less and fed more. What made the difference? And I looked at it and I asked God, God, how is it that Jesus fed more when he started with less? And I felt the Lord whisper to me, it's not what I start with. It's how it's broken in my hands that counts the most. Am I talking to anybody right now? If you don't mind God using you, you need to stand up and say like Nehemiah, send me God, I'll go. Use me, make my life count for something. Make my life matter. Give my life meaning and significance. It starts from there. Yes, it does. Secondly, Nehemiah saw potential and opportunity where others saw nothing but ruins. When he finally got to Jerusalem, and remember he had heard someone had told him how bad it was. He had been just a little tyke, little guy when he was carried away into captivity to be educated there in a foreign nation. But he never, never lost his heart for the God of Israel or his homeland. And you have to learn how to retain your identity in a foreign culture. You need to know that in no matter what place you live and how godless it becomes, that you still belong to him. That's pretty weak. I'm going to try that. Let me back up, put it in, in reverse. Amen. I'm going to say it again. If I need to say it five times, I'll say it. You need to remember that no matter how godless the culture becomes, you still belong to Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Don't forget who you are. Don't get swallowed up by everything that's going on. God's allowed you to be there for a reason. Yes, he has. You might not even like what you're doing. Between me and you, I can think of a lot better jobs than being the king's wine taster. All it takes is one attempt and I'm dead. You don't have job security in a job like that. Amen. People don't live long. The, 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 the job risk and hazards of being in that type of employment are too high. One time somebody slips poison in and you're a goner. Uh, I don't care what you're working in right now, how adverse the circumstance. You need to realize that God put you there and it's an opportunity. And Nehemiah saw potential and opportunity where everybody else saw ruins. Anybody can see the problem. Few are those who see a solution. 
hear what I'm saying right now. Some people feel like their spiritual gift is to go around finding problems. You're only seeing what everybody else has already seen. Amen. What we need are some answers, not somebody to identify some problems. You hear what I'm talking about? And I welcome those. I'm not just saying at the church level. I'm talking about at the national level. Anybody can throw stones and point fingers. We need solutions. That's what we need. Amen. And the truth of the matter is, you never would have heard of Nehemiah had he not volunteered. And he saw potential when others saw nothing but difficulty. Listen to this in the book of Nehemiah. I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the right night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. There was so much destruction, so much rubble, so much trash and debris that his horse could not even pass through. And he had to turn around. Everybody else would have said, big problem. Nehemiah said, big opportunity. And what we as the church must realize is the greater the challenge, the greater the opportunity it is for us to shine. Amen. Would you have ever heard of David had there not been a guy called Goliath? Never. Because anybody can be a Saul and say there's a problem, but only a David can stand up and find a solution. And what I'm preaching today is every one of you are in the same place Nehemiah was. You have the right and the opportunity to make your life significant. Don't blame others. Don't blame your problems. Don't blame your, la blame your lack of education, your lack of connections, your lack of opportunity. Nehemiah could have voiced all of those complaints. Look what happened to me. I'm an orphan carried away. Dad and mom were killed. Raised in this foreign culture. Don't belong here. He could have spent his life griping. Instead, he said, I volunteer. And if there ever was a time that the church needs to stand up in today's world where so many view church attendance, I want to say it again, and membership as just being, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, but it's not going to fundamentally change anything in my life. But I won't be connected because if I, I need my kids to get married or if I need somebody to bury me or somebody to dedicate my grandkids, I want to have a place to go. And I'll worry about that church thing when I get old. Just about ready to die? Uh-uh. If that's your concept of what church is all about, you're missing the point Nehemiah is making. You can make a vital difference with your life. Somebody in the building shout amen. And as bad as Nehemiah had heard the destruction was, when he got there it was worse. But still he saw opportunity. Let me tell you a little bit about Christian Tabernacle. One reason that I don't count people out here and one reason that when people come here, they say, this is a place of healing. This is a place where I've been able to recover. Is because in so many churches, you got to reach this level before you have any place that they will allow you to feel in a church. I want you to know that Jesus didn't do that. Look, look at the 12 disciples. I could have done a better job picking out disciples than Jesus did. He chose 12, one of them betrayed him, and the chief one of the whole bunch was wishy-washy. I'm serious. Simon Peter was a mess. 
I can do a better, I have done a better job than that. I picked Donnie and Kathy Simpson. Amen. Joe Brazano, Robert Pace, I've done a pretty good job. Amen. James and Tracy, hey, baby, I'm hitting them out of the park. You hear what I'm talking about? Look, but you need to know we don't all start out up here. Some of us, you find us where they found me. And years later, you look where God brought us from. And you say, had it not been for the Lord who was on their side, had it not been for the grace of God, amen, amen, amen. Christian Tabernacle values people. And we want people to come. I don't care who you are, where you've been from, what life has done to you, how messed up you may be. This is where you need to be Sunday after Sunday because there's, oh, forgive me for saying it, there are transformers in this place, amen. There's a power to revolutionize you. There are superheroes sitting on the pews beside you. There are people that have the power of the living God in their hearts will take you under their wing and love you, amen. Nehemiah saw potential and opportunity where others saw problems. And thirdly, and I'm closing, Nehemiah had vision and inspired others to follow it. In Nehemiah 2 and 17, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Come let us us. I want you to understand, first of all, that you will never get to where you're going to get, go by yourself. You need a team around you. You can't make it by yourself. Success is too daunting for you to be able to get there alone. You're going to have to have a team. You need the right connections. Look at somebody and say, get the right hookup. Would you do that right now? You need the right people in your life. You don't need people that pull you down. You need people that build you up. You need people that inspire you, that challenge you. Can I get real with you? The real friend in your life is not the one that pats you on the back and tells you how good you're doing either. It's the one that looks at you and says, this area could stand a little improvement. Amen. That's the real friend in your life. Don't surround yourself with yes people that tell you what you want to hear, that commiserate with you and your misery and your weakness and your loneliness and your pain. Get somebody to challenge you, grab you by the lapel, straighten you up and say, you got it in you, come on. Give it your best shot, let's try again. When you fall down, get somebody around you that'll help pick you up that won't just let you stay there. Hallelujah. You say, do good people fall? You better know they fall. A good man falls seven times. That's what the psalmist said. Did you hear that? A good man falls seven times. Amen. The secret is you don't lay there and wallow in it. You can't afford the luxury of self-pity. Do you hear what I'm saying? Oh, but somebody did me wrong. Join the crowd. They did us all wrong. Somebody betrayed me, betrayed me too, but I'm still here, amen. Do you hear what I'm saying? They betrayed Jesus, but 
He's our Lord and Savior. They, a tomb could not keep him locked away. Oh, I feel like preaching right now. You know, it's amazing because sometimes we encounter betrayal in rough places and we honestly get to thinking we're the only ones that have ever walked through that. One time somebody asked me how I was doing. I said, I'm gonna write my autobiography. They said, what are you gonna title it? The wounds wherewith I was wounded in the house of my friends. And at the time I meant it too. Nobody would have wanted to read it, but I sure felt like writing it. Acid would have dripped out of the pen on that. It would have burned the holes right into the page. Oh yeah, been hurt before, been betrayed before. We all have. Just don't lay there and wallow in it. Get up. Get your life back together. God made you. You have talent. You have ability. You have value. You have beauty. You're somebody to God. Amen. Nehemiah had vision. And you know the ones he inspired to follow him? Do you know who they were? That bunch that was left behind that I told you about a while ago. Intermarried. Amen. Some of them were. And others of them from that, that class that was not educated. He inspired people to follow him and built a successful team. He didn't always have the best to work with. And I want to say again, I thank God for the team that God has given us here. Because I wouldn't be here by myself if it was left up to just me. If there wasn't a Donnie and a Catherine Simpson and a Joe and a Stella Brazano and a Robert and a Lisa Pace and a James and a Tracy Shockley and a Robert Martinez and his beautiful wife, if we didn't have an own and own and a Marcella and all of the others around here, but not just at that level, the leaders of the individual ministries, I'm just right now naming pastors, but, but for you, if it wasn't for the, for the people I meet on Sunday morning when I come in that greet me that are serving as ushers and hostesses, greeters, I walk in and there's always somebody there with a beautiful smile saying, good morning, pastor, how are you? You say, they just say that to you because you're the pastor. No, I walked in this morning side by side, another lady, and they said it to me and said it to her and gave us both the same smile, amen. I remember Ruth Buffington when the letter she sent, she was a member of our church. She's actually in charge of the, of the hostess's ministry now. When Ruth came here, she said she was going through something. And she walked in, and every Sunday when she would walk in, she'd be met by that smiling face of that hostess. Good morning. God bless you. How are you today? And she said that would pick her up. And do you know what happened? She became a member here and then became a member of the very greeting team that had impressed her and ministered to her. And you know what she has moved up to? She's now the leader of that ministry, amen. If it wasn't for people like that, wasn't for the ushers, wasn't for or the Sunday school, people that have just stepped up and said, I wanna make my life count. And what am I preaching today, this 4th of July weekend? I'm saying that freedom is not free. We've got a torch to pass on to somebody. Come on, congregation. Come on, Christian Tabernacle. Let's be a Nehemiah. 